This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, plan for today, a little bit different. No interview. No interview today. As you can see by the length of the pod, it's a pretty long episode. It's because we got the All Bang the Drum team coming up. And what was I thinking? Will, it is time to unveil the All Bang the Drum team for 2023. This is one player that I will lead the bandwagon for this season. It doesn't mean I'm predicting them to go all SEC. It doesn't mean that I'm predicting them to be in the Heisman Trophy conversation. It doesn't even mean that I think they're going to be some dominant force and that they're going to overtake somebody for the starting job. It means I just find myself rooting for them. I find myself saying that they're good and they're probably not getting enough credit for how good that they are. Or there is the case of a certain Patrick Smith last year, the Vandy running back with the nickname Cheeks. And I just wanted to include someone with the nickname Cheeks. So this is really as subjective of a list as I can possibly come up with. And it's one of the very few things that I do in which I actually can't get pushback for because I'm not saying this guy's better than this guy. And I'm not saying this team's better than this team. I can just say these are the guys that I am all in on. I have I want to have the most stock of anybody in these players Does the all bang the drum team resonate or is it just going to upset people that I didn't include their guy? I mean, via Instagram graphic, it's always going to upset people because (laughs) that's what Instagram is for. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, what I love about this segment every year is like people in the media, like if you listen to a lot of, a lot of uh, like sports talk radio, they'll be like, you know, nobody's talking about this guy. And it's like my brother in Christ, you are the media. You can go ahead and talk about this guy. Nothing's stopping you. So it's like, that's why I love this list. Cause it's like, yeah, this guy doesn't have to be all SEC. We just enjoy watching him play. These are just some lads we enjoy watching play. Agree. And and maybe I think they should be getting all SEC love instead of certain other guys. Cedric Tillman was on this list last year. I banged the drum for Cedric Tillman so unbelievably hard. I think I broke my hand. I mean, it was brutal. And seeing and this, keep in mind, this was before the preseason all SEC team came out and we found out that Jermaine Burton not Cedric Tillman was preseason all SEC. I'll never get over that. That'll always Man, bother me. That was uh, yeah. <sighs> anyway. It wasn't as bad as um our boy from Hoover that played at Georgia that was just hurt when he George was preseason. Pickens. George Bigger was just like, like this guy's not gonna play until December if he was preseason all SEC. That was all time, but Burton, that was a little bit too much Kool-Aid. Yeah, George Pickens is has a torn ACL. Okay. <laughs> Even if he comes back on the Will Muschamp timeline here. Why are we saying that this guy is preseason all SEC when he has been picking for a while? Just catch a go route to a scooter. Just look, man. That guy had to, had had enough troubles getting open when he was fully healthy. Don't think yeah. he'd be able to do that with a scooter. Just saying, phenomenal talent. But yeah, we weren't exactly banging the drum for George Pickens. These guys, we will be banging the drum for rules, parameters. We need parameters. We always got to have parameters. One player per team. Because I don't want people accusing me of being biased. I want this to be one of the rare things in which you can't push back on me. Because I am admitting that this is a biased list, but I don't want to be biased about a specific team. No first team all SEC selections from last year. I don't need to bang the drum for those guys. If those Mm -hmm. guys are coming back, they're probably getting preseason all SEC love. I don't necessarily have to worry about that second team. Okay, you know what? Maybe it wasn't unanimous that we can have that conversation. There will be some guys who got some of that second team love last year. We'll dig into that. And then lastly, and this is a change that I made last year that I think 
I will, I will definitely keep moving forward. No quarterbacks, just because quarterbacks can have one good month and they're just, if you have one good month in the SEC, we don't need to bang the drum for you. We, we pretty much already know you're, you're getting that kind of love more times than not. They are, and they're always going to be somewhat in the spotlight. So I just don't necessarily feel the need to bang the drum for those guys. What we were talking about right before we came on, like the guys that we would kind of stand for. And I'm like, hey, if there's like a guy that, that kind of comes to mind, I would probably stand for like a Connor Wigman or something like that. You know that I love me some Devin Leary. We've talked about these things. Mm-hmm. Just guys that I don't think will necessarily get that love that I'd be like, ah, you know what? I'm going to push back on some of those projections that some might have for them. But yeah, I just don't think that including quarterbacks on this list is necessary. There are other guys that I can kind of sort of go to go to bat for. Does that all make sense? Oh, yeah, you're right. And it's always like whenever there's the human interest story, it's always like the backup quarterback. Like people love learning about quarterbacks. So I think you're right. I think they get enough shine. I do think it's funny that, that like I asked you about that off air and you're like Wigman you're like you just gotta go back and watch the LSU game you gotta see it I was like brother every second that game is burned into the back of my brain I remember Connor Wigman's breakout game he was good I'm just saying we see him running a competent offense something that makes sense shades of what he ran in high school you get that in 2023 after he's got a full offseason with the ones like I'm just saying I look let's let's not necessarily rule out the 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 possibility of him being an all SEC guy don't meet don't need to make you go back and watch that maybe you'll just see that play out against non LSU teams this year could very well happen okay so let's we're just going to go in alphabetical order here let's start with Alabama The guy that I'm banging the drum for, Jace McClellan. The tailback who last year, at the end of the season, I felt like it was kind of lost in the shuffle how good he was down the stretch when there was that weird Jameer Gibbs injury that like we didn't really know a whole lot about. But McClellan just started getting a lot more run. He averaged 34 and a half snaps in those last four games. He was averaging 86.8 scrimmage yards. And he was somebody that kind of looked like, wow, this guy has a lot of potential and not just, oh, occasional big play like the long touchdown run that he had earlier in the season against Texas. But he's not necessarily going to be a guy who I think gets all I see love coming into this year. And I'm not saying that he should, but we see in the spring game, Justice Haynes looks like a stud and he's an early enrollee. Talked about how Saban in that meeting with Jordan Rogers is like, yeah, this guy's good. And maybe he is the running back of the future, but Maybe a little bit of some of those Brian Robinson vibes with Jace McClellan. I don't know that he's going to covet that kind of volume like Brian Robinson did in 2021, but I just think his patience, the way that he kind of works between the tackles for an Alabama team that is going to be all about getting back to that ground and pound, that that more run-focused offense with Tommy Reese. I think Jace McClellan's a guy that's going to benefit from that a ton. And if he ends up being one of those all SEC guys at the end of the season, it's not going to surprise me. Again, he's not just on this list because I think he could be an all SEC guy. He's on this list because I'm like, are, let's let's not sleep on the possibility of Alabama having an extraordinary running back with all of these questions that we still have about the quarterback situation. Jace McClellan, buy stock now. Yeah, I think he's exactly what this list is for. I think he's a dude. He's a big program guy. He's kind of waited his turn. And like you're right, it's like you see the guys ahead of him, like previous to him. You see the kind of future guys, and it's like you know. But let's not let's not skip the present. I think that like you said, he's been electric. You know when he's played and been kind of. Gosh, I hate how we talk about the Alabama offense, but I, I, I'll say it. It's like he's kind of been the victim of circumstance, whereas now they're going to have a true chance for him to prove himself. And he could be kind of like 
uh, the vibes of one of those guys who gets to the NFL. You know, Saban really talks him up, but he's not like, super productive in college. Gets to the NFL and just has like a nice career, like just um, Kevin Falk vibes. You know, just a, a lad. If Jace McClellan wasn't very good, Trey Sanders ain't at TCU right now. Yep, that's a good point. Trey Sanders is still at Alabama if Jace McClellan's not a really good football player, and he mm-hmm. is. And and people who are saying like, ah, oh, Alabama doesn't have that elite back. It, it might not coming into the season, but Jace McClellan could very well become a household name, not just within the SEC, but nationally. He's somebody that we could be talking about maybe in the playoff picture as well. Arkansas. I've got Al Walcott here, the safety coming in from Baylor. We love us some Dave Aranda, a guy who gets to play in that sort of hybrid role that Dave Aranda has in his defense feels like, wow, that guy can do a million different things. He is, this is going to be a comp that might ruffle some feathers. He is a more durable version of Jalen Catalan. Like, and I say that as someone who loved watching Jalen Catalan when he was on the field, but man, that guy had Bob Sanders vibes with the way that he got hurt because of the style that he plays. And it was so unfortunate that we didn't get to see kind of his pre-draft year at Arkansas take off and he ends up going to Texas. But now in this defense, they need guys. They just need dudes. I don't know what to expect of Travis Williams' defense in year one there, even though we like the work that he did at UCF, a place where you just did not have those quality defenses, even when they were when they were particularly good. And now, though, you're looking at this group going, where, where are the answers defensively? Because you know Drew Sanders is gone. You know Bumper Pool is gone. Obviously, Catalan is off to Texas. And you're kind of sitting there going, man, where, where exactly is the promise? A guy like Walcott coming in, that was a huge kind of sneaky under-the-radar addition. He was awesome last year. He had his, his numbers, stats, sheet stuffer, extraordinaire, 82 tackles, 10 TFLs, three forced fumbles, two sacks, interception. Year before that, he had that 96-yard pick six against Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl as well, kind of a back-breaking play in that game. And, you know, I, I just kind of wonder, is he going to be one of those guys that we're just left going, oh, he just does everything for Arkansas, and he's put in some tough spots at times because of how versatile he is lines up just a ton at that slot cornerback spot. He's going to play in the box for you. He can line up on the defensive line. He can work downhill. But he's he's somebody that that I think will be very off the radar because it'll be the typical, oh, you know what? You did that in the Big 12. Congratulations. Let's see what you can do in the SEC. And if he ends up being this guy who is like, wow, they really needed him in year one of this new scheme with Travis Williams, it would not surprise me at all. Second team All Big Twelve selection last year uh, could could work his way into that conversation this year. Yes, love that three things really quick. So I totally agree with that selection. That's a guy like you said off the radar guy that we're we're we'll probably be talking about if Arkansas is successful a month or two into the season. People are like, where did this guy come from? You heard it here first. Uh, second, uh, there's another guy I want to draw some shine to, uh, Landon Jackson. If you remember him, he was a um kind of a bigger recruit that saw his stock kind of fall. He had this one really rough uh, camp that he went to. It took him from like a low five-star, high four-star to like way down the four-stars. He started, yeah, it was like one of like a video got out of him doing a drill kind of wrong. It was weird. But anyway, um, he went to LSU, couldn't crack the rotation there, and then or, or really just left because Coach O left, and then also, you know, went to Arkansas. Uh, played a lot last year, but he's one of those guys, you know, six, seven, really needed to grow into his body. And I think that this year he's going to have a chance to really break out. Like this, Lennon Jackson is a guy who has the frame. He has kind of the, the the production from high school that he really could turn into a guy we talk about a lot for Arkansas. 
There, there needs to be more of these household names outside of KJ and Rocket if Arkansas is going to be eight and four, nine and three mm-hmm. at the year this year that we were talked about them having last year. And it's interesting to see their win total projection at, at seven and a half. And I was I was talking to to my guy JB about this in Fayetteville. And one of the things that he's saying is like, you can have all the confidence in the world offensively, but you're still going to worry about how much pressure is being put on this defense. Cause we saw it last year, you put so much pressure on, on the offense and you're kind of looking up going, man, this is, this is just not a sustainable formula and you're not going to be able to survive in the sec West playing that way but yeah arkansas dead last against the pass last year dead last in the country oh in the country oh in the wow, country okay. it was that bad it was terrible very man. Odom, man um i just want to say really quick the bob sanders catalan thing is honestly i love it so much because just like those colts teams i we really liked a lot of the front seven guys from arkansas and there was this one dude in the back end who they just lost him and the whole thing came apart and it was like we thought this defense was talented what happened it's exactly what happened to bob sanders with the colts he would get hurt and it was like this defense is suddenly trash what just happened yeah. i love that yeah they even lost miles slusher to colorado like i i, I kind of dogged miles miles slusher a lot because i felt like if you if you watched arkansas allow these big plays it was like every time you look up and it was a big play in the passing game, it was Miles Slusher trailing the play and watch. He's going to go play for Dion and be like some all Pac-12 guy. But yeah, man, they just they they were in really rough shape. I don't think they would have been nearly as bad if Catalan was able to, to stay healthy last year. Unfortunate that he didn't. OK, for Auburn, Dylan Wade, the offensive lineman that Cole Kubelik brought up on these airwaves and is like, this is the dude to watch. When Cole says something like this, I listen, and the more you dig into it, the more it kind of makes sense. I'm interested if this becomes a little bit more of a trend. Dylan Wade can be, for Auburn this year, what Osiris Torrance was for Florida last year. Coming with the old coaching staff to, to, to the new place and becoming that reliable, staple, set-it-and-forget-it guy, a guy that you can just say, you're going to start every single game for us. We're never going to have to worry about you. You know the scheme. You know how this works. And that that is something you desperately need in year one. They're able to get another guy from Tulsa, by the way, Jaden Muskrat. So you have two now Tulsa guys Excuse coming me? in. Muskrat? Jaden Muskrat? Jaden Muskrat. Amazing. Continue. All name team selection. Probably. I might have butchered the pronunciation of that name. That's exactly how it's spelled. No, that's what we'll be calling him. That's fine. His name is Muskrat now. Continue. Yeah, just Muskrat. Uh, Muskrat's going to be working in the trenches. But yeah, you you now have a couple of Tulsa guys who are going to be starting. Obviously, Philip Montgomery coming from Tulsa. You feel Go- like... I look, we don't sleep on Tulsa on this podcast. We don't. That's We respect Tulsa through and through. If Auburn, you know, it's interesting to see this this new strategy because you bring in also you got the kid coming in from Western Kentucky where all they did was pass. All they did was pass at Western Kentucky with Austin Reed. You now have kind of overhauled your offensive line via the transfer portal with group of five starters. These like experienced group of five guys. I wonder if this becomes a little bit more of a trend. I know we spent a lot of time last year talking about how LSU got away with having two freshman tackles. But I do wonder if some people decide that the Hugh Freeze approach to this makes a little bit more sense of being able to to dip into the portal, find a Dylan Wade, and say, 
oh, let's just go get some of these elite group of five guys who we know have already been through the strength and conditioning program for three, maybe three, four years, something like that. We can plug them in there and we can at least be formidable. We're not necessarily going to be, oh my God, this is a Georgia type offensive line, but you can at least give yourself a chance. And I think Dylan Wade gives Auburn and that offensive line, which just needs to improve because in two years with Brian Harson, it obviously was not a strength of their team. It gives them a chance, and I think that that the two freeze making some of these moves in the portal, a, an extremely active transfer portal guy, Hugh Freeze has been so far. I just think it makes a lot of sense. So we will bang the drum for Dylan Wade because Cole told us to basically. <laughs> yes, no, and that, we love the insider, uh, you know, the insight there. And I think, um, you know, this is going to be. I, I think Auburn's going to be the most interesting team in the SEC. Is that fair to say? Because. They could be a year away from being really good. They could be, I mean, look, they're in a position similar to kind of where Florida was last year, where it's like, they got a new like head coach. who's like this offensive guy. You could really turn this whole thing around. Now, Florida obviously didn't go great, but Hugh Freeze is a lot more proven than Billy Napier. You know what I'm saying? So if this could be like the beginning of the DVD, does that make sense? Yeah, that's that. I think that's, that's perfectly fair. I, Auburn's always interesting. Might yeah. be the day in which Auburn is boring. I mean, that's so they're always going to be on the on the short list. I would include A and M in that conversation as well. I think the, the the team you just mentioned there, Florida, is is fascinating on a variety of levels. Alabama, we've talked about so much in the spring because it does feel like there are more questions than answers. But yes, I agree that Auburn does does feel like it's very interesting in year one with Hugh Freeze because this is a different type of roster rebuild than they've really ever been allowed to do. And seeing some of the pieces in place and how quickly we're like, wow, Brian Harson really messed this up. That will be a question that we're probably asking a lot. Um, I would say also, is Cam Riley too, is he on the radar too much or can he be, is he banging the drum eligible? Sure. I mean, that's, that's fine. You want to bang yeah. the drum? Go ahead. Yes. I think that he is a guy that, you know, we've talked about a couple of these teams that just kind of have one guy on defense. And I think that that was Auburn a little bit last year. Um, I think that Cam Riley just hasn't really been given the potential, the, the, the runway to be good. Um, last year's first year as a starter. And like I said, just on that defense, it was hard to evaluate anyone. But again, if we see, you know, a month or a month and a half into the season, Auburn starting to pick up steam, this is going to be the guy that's getting interviewed. I think on defense, at least I think Cam Riley is, kind of the guy that quietly was a little bit of what they hoped he would be, but it just didn't matter. Like it was just too much was going on. So I I think that he's going to be in a position to succeed this year. Auburn's defense was just a handful of due to deserve better guys. Mm -hmm. Most notably Derek Hall, of course. Yeah. I'm going to miss watching Derek Hall. He was, he was fun. He's going to be great in the NFL. All right, let's go to Florida. Kind of an obvious one. One of the ones I feel strongest about on this list, Trevor Etienne. I love me some Trevor Etienne. Florida's just got to have that one guy that you always say, get this guy more touches. They have to have that guy. It was Kadarius Tony forever. It's Trevor Etienne now. We'll take a guess. If you just had to think about how much we talked about Trevor Etienne, how much we've already banged the drum for him and his skill set as a true freshman last year coming into year one of this offense, wherein you knew he was going to be second on the totem pole because Montrell Johnson follows Billy Napier from Louisiana. Take a guess. How many carries per game do you think Trevor Etienne averaged last year? Oh no, not per game. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say six. Oh, more than that. It's more than that. Okay. okay. It's, You've gaslit me. How much was it? It was it's nine. Okay. Well, good it's, for him. It's not enough. It's just it's, no, not. it's not enough. Yeah. I didn't mean to like belabor that point. It's just like this is always what happens in Florida. Like, again, if you're an NFL GM, 
take the second best Florida running back every year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there, there is something to be said for having this rotation, understanding last year. All right. You're, you're going to get Montreal Johnson work. You're going to get Anthony Richardson, his work. It, and it's difficult. And it always kind of feels like there's that guy who's just not getting enough backfield touches, but Man, if ETN does not get a significant surge, especially with all the questions that we have in the passing game with Florida, something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And I don't don't do the thing where you tell me, oh, he sucks in pass protection. You can't have him out there. It's like we're we're past the place in which running backs can't be on the field because they they, they are a liability in pass protection. You you have them running routes or you go mm-hmm. empty back set. Okay. So like if he's out there. You need to have him out there doing things. He is too good not to be out there. And I don't need these situations in which Travis Etienne is just like, run the damn ball. If that's happening to Billy Napier repeatedly this year, we've got some major issues. We love the yards after contact stat. We love that. Our friend at PFF, Brent Rollins, threw this out there. SEC returning running back leaders in yards after contact per attempt. Number one on that list, Kendall Milton, 3.98 yards after contact that's what he averages per attempt number two on that list our boy trevor Etienne. he's Mm -hmm. at 3.87 yards after first contact per attempt that's darn good that is really really good i don't know that that continues with some of the questions we have on the offensive line for florida a lot of turnover there the aforementioned osiris torrance not there anymore but man Etienne just feels like a big play waiting to happen I want that guy to get more touches. Florida fans, I will be right there with you, banging the drum every single game. Trevor Etienne needs run. Yeah, 100%. I, I think Etienne's a guy that pretty much everyone was right about. I mean, I think we just we hoped he would be this type of runner, and he was used like – I think he was used developmentally correctly because the worst thing you can get is a guy who gets to this point in his career and he has too much tread run off the tires. You know, I understand the concept of bringing in a veteran and and, and just kind of like, you know, preserving him and getting him the good touches – but you're right. I would like to see more out of him. I think this is a year. Um, I think this is a big year for him. And, uh, you know, guy I've talked about a ton, uh, Ricky Pearsall would be my guy from Florida. And it looks like sure. your offense is going to be two players. <laughs> looks yeah. like it's going to be those two players. And, buddy, last time Florida's offense was two players, it was very good. That was 2020. No, so- no, 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 no. Florida's offense was at least three guys that year. You cannot forget about Trayvon Grimes. He made some big-time plays that year. It wasn't just Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, and Kyle Trask as well, throwing him the rock. They had right. they had mul- multiple layers of that passing offense. This 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 Florida offense does not have the depth that that year's that, year, I that know. year's group. Did. They'll find a third guy, I hope, because they sure need one. But I'm just saying, going into the year, like it's pretty clear we have like a one-two punch in Florida, and they just need to effectively get those guys the ball. And then you know, if another dude pops, good for them. But I literally think they're kind of in a situation right now where it's like every touch that doesn't go to one of these guys, it's like the Thunder with Russ and KD. It's like you need to get these guys the ball and just move because. They're both individually talented and they can both kind of do stuff like they can run the offense effectively. And I have no proof that even the quarterback can do that over there. So just run a bunch of bubble screens. Be honest here as someone who look, you're not necessarily looking at anything Florida is doing currently and feeling jealous of that as an LSU fan. So I'm not saying that we want, we need to get this out there, but seeing the ETN family mm-hmm. from Louisiana, of course, oh, where yeah. are they, where they from in Louisiana? Is it, Jennings, I believe. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. Seeing ETN family not end up at LSU with how good those two guys look, 
stings a little bit, right? And I know you get Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that class that Travis Etienne was in, so it ends up working out really well. But like kind of seeing the way that this is all played out, you're like, oh boy, that's that's a rare, a rare LSU in-state miss. No, 100%. I've loved him from the jump. It's not a guy that I flipped on. Like I wanted him on my team. Now he's not on my team. I want to support him. I'm, I mean, I'm this way with Smitty. I hope Smitty succeeds. Yeah. I think anybody from Louisiana is my boy. I, I would, you know, and same deal. I think whatever uh, uh, Travis making the decision to go to Clemson, I think worked out great for him. I think Smitty going to Alabama worked out great for him. I hate to see it when it's a guy that doesn't work out for him. And I wish he would have gone to LSU, but I truly think that Florida, he has an opportunity to be showcased for LSU is a really crowded backfield this year. Let's go to Georgia. Dan Jackson, guy banging the drum for the safety, who is a former walk-on. Yeah, that's right. Former walk-ons at Georgia. Did any of those guys ever turn out to do anything? Or no, that's just, you know, just gonna get buried amidst the five stars and good luck. We'll we'll see in four years. Uh, good luck elevating the team GPA. Really appreciate your efforts there. No. Mm-hmm. Dan Jackson's somebody that that Georgia fans know. I don't have to bang the drum for them. He is someone that could become a bit more of a name around the SEC. They call him Dirty Dan. Great nickname. Ah, Dirty Dan. (laughs) Look, this isn't just an all-nickname team, but it's not not an all-nickname team. It can be. It's your list. That's the best part of this list. You're exactly right. I might have to tell our social media coordinator, Alex, like, hey, can you put Dirty Dan in the Instagram graphic i think that'll get a lot more a lot more universal love for him but i always think it's impressive when guys like that are able to emerge amidst all that talent and find a way to play and you know that kirby smart and the way that he evaluates that defensive backfield is going to be a stickler for detail and you know that he loves seeing the effort it's not necessarily a guarantee that he he ends up being like one of those bona fide starters but as being a guy who is was establishing himself last year as a key rotation guy before he suffers the stress fracture in October out for the year. But just one of those guys, like when he's in there, he just makes plays and that can be in special teams. He had a big time block punt a couple of years ago that turned into a touchdown for Georgia. Like this is one of those guys who we're probably going to lose sight of because you feel really good about the Georgia secondary. We're going to talk a lot about Malachi Starks over the course of the next two years. He's getting preseason All-America love, as he should for the things that he did as a freshman. But Dan Jackson could be one of those glue guys, one of those guys that we look up, and maybe it's a game against Tennessee in which he makes one of those ball-separating hits that turns into Mm -hmm. an interception, and we're like, man, are they glad they have that guy. Shout out Billy Madison. (laughs) <laughs> just, I called that guy. That's a guy. I was like, how many kills me? Oh, yeah. It's, it's hard to find these guys on Georgia, but you're right. I love that. You know, wow. Um, Candler, Georgia walk-on, Stetson, Jordan. They love the walk-ons up there. And that's that's the cool thing about them is like it kind of is hard to find these inspirational stories at Georgia, but like that's a cool one. I love my boy Van Pran. I think he's a little bit too good to deserve the, the he's gonna the, yeah, he's too good. He's he's no, already no, first team all SEC, but he's yeah, gonna he's be, so yeah, many, but yeah. But it's cool that he came back, and I think he deserves a lot more buzz. But, yeah, I, I we love to see that, especially on, like, Kirby's defense. It's like you can't be a slouch DB on Kirby's defense. This guy is here off merit. So we love to see that. And you got Christopher Smith to, to replace, so you know that there's there, there are going to be some snaps available. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Dan Jackson's a guy that ends up playing a lot more than maybe some some in the SEC would, would expect, given the fact that he's a former walk-on. Kentucky, Ray Davis. If you – just pulled the average SEC fan. Said, so name the thousand yard rushers in the SEC last year. 
I do not think more than 10% of those people would tell you that Ray Davis was a thousand yard rusher. I true. I think that that was so unbelievably under the radar, how good he was for Vandy and a Vandy team that look, we all make our Vandy jokes. It's still a team that had bowl eligibility on the line in the regular season finale. That's more than some could say specifically a and we looked at what Vandy did offensively at times last year. And we're like, it just kind of works. And even though Mike Wright doesn't end up being able, isn't end up, doesn't end up being able to retain that starting job. He's off to Mississippi state. You're still looking at this offense going, Hey, they actually do some things that are really impressive. And the fact that he is now at Kentucky being that guy to replace Chris Rodriguez, a guy that we have been so unbelievably high on two years ago. Chris Rodriguez was an all bang the drum team selection. Ray Davis is now in that spot. Now, He's not going to get the preseason love despite the fact that he's a thousand yard back because Quinshawn Judkins and Rocket Sanders are back. They're going to get those first team all SEC spots as they should totally get that, not pushing back on that. But if Kentucky's offensive line isn't a total train wreck and look, everything that we've heard out of spring is that that group is going to be better. It really can't get a whole lot worse than it was last year. If you watch Chris Rodriguez and even the yards that he would gain, you're like, oh, he's meeting someone at the line of scrimmage and he's getting three or four yards when this probably could be a one-yard loss if he wasn't a really good north-south runner. Ray Davis wasn't exactly playing with an elite offensive line of Vandy. Okay, let's bear. I mean, the guy is pretty well-suited for to be in these spots. And he actually was somebody who started off his career at Temple, makes his way to Vandy, spent two years at each of those schools. He's a veteran. He's an old man. He's got the receding hairline. You saw the video of him at camp when he's like, yeah, they used to call me LeBron at Vandy. I thought it was because, you know, they, they thought I was really good. Turn to find out it was because I'm balding, which is just an all-time. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> That's devastating. You guys think I got game? No, bro, you old. No, you just old, man. You got the receding hairline. Wait, I, I got a great I like story radios. about that. So my dad, both of my parents always had custom license plates, right? And my dad had one in Florida that said, I sold, but there was like no spaces in it. And my buddy met my dad for the first time and just looks at his license plate and goes, is old. And my dad's oh, like, no. oh, no. Oh, no. If you're getting something on your license plate, you got to do your due diligence. Yep. If it's an acronym, you, you got to search that on the internet. You you got to make sure that the kids aren't calling it something that it is. And you're like, oh, man, this kind of this is going to slide under the table to DMV because the DMV isn't hip enough to be able to pick up on that or just two, three people. This good. I'm, I'm, I'm OK. Is is old. That's kind of on you for letting that slide. Can't have his old. Um, yeah, I I'm with you on this. I think that Kentucky will have a ground game. There's like a couple of schools like Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky. It's like. You will have a ground game. You'll get there. You'll figure it out. Um, I think he'll be the guy. Um, my all bang the drum guy for Kentucky is going to be who else but Justice Dingle the second. Um, now Kentucky is one of the few teams that will list you a starting fullback. And let me tell you about Justice Dingle the second. Transferred from Georgia Tech, moved from linebacker to fullback. So this is a football guy, a program guy, and a smart guy. The things we love, right? He's going to be the one opening the holes up. For that ground game. So I just want to put Justice Dingle the second on your radar. Also, Dane Key is a guy we've talked about a lot, but I think yep. guys outside of the SEC are about to learn his name now that they have Liam Cohen, your doppelganger, the 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 draft pick of yours in the OC draft. So I think that, you know, 
as far as a lad, we love Justin Dingley. He's probably going to get a lot of run. But also Dane Key, I think there's a lot of these. This is like the opposite of Georgia. This team has a lot of bang the drum guys. Justice Dingle is going to get a lot of run. That's just let that one sit right there. Love oh, it. yeah. Yeah. The, the Dane Key buzz will be significant. He and Barry and Brown coming back after a freshman year in which they got a ton of reps. Obviously, the local angle with Dane Key. Kentucky fans absolutely love this guy. Still needs to show that he has that commitment to his craft to be able to develop as a route runner. That's the big question coming into this year. Can you master these concepts? Can you be able to utilize all of those unbelievable talents and consistently get separation in the SEC? That's what we need to be able to see from him. But yes, love me some Dane Key. Think he's going to have some big time moments this year. Let's stick at receiver then. Let's go to LSU. Could go in a lot of different directions with this. Mm. I find myself... And credit to me for not picking Noah Kane because I feel like I've been banging the drum for Noah Kane since like 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went with Brian Thomas for this. I think Brian Thomas is going to be one of those guys that we group into this LSU pass catcher unit, whatever you want to call. And he's he's another name that's thrown in there. Even though we know Malik Neighbors is the headliner, he's the preseason All-SEC guy. Malik Neighbors could be getting some of that preseason All-America level, though he's probably not. He's probably more in that second tier instead of that top tier that includes Marvin Harrison Jr. But I look at Brian Thomas and his skill set. And here's, here's why I wanted to put him on this list. What have we talked about so much with Jaden Daniels? Trust the offense. Trust that your receivers can go up and get a 50-50 ball. Trust that even when they don't have that two-step, three-step of separation, you can just trust them to go make a play. Having an entire offseason to know what a guy does well, what a guy doesn't do well. Ryan Thomas stands to benefit the most from that. He does. Go back Mm -hmm. and watch that play that he made against Florida. He mossed him. I mean, look, that is... That you got Moss, that's what that segment was created for. For plays, so disrespectful like that. that ended up not counting. Like the Florida bench in the background, just being like, uh, <laughs> like I wish that that look. Here's the rule if the other sideline freaks out, it's a catch. Yes, it, it look it, if it's so cool, you, you just have to allow it. You have to automatically. That That is no doubt about it. Brian Thomas is somebody that. I would expect Jane Daniels is going to trust even more. You saw that happen in the spring game. You saw that rapport look really solid. I think he is someone that just has immense potential. I'm usually not the guy that falls in love with the 6'4", 6'5", former basketball player who's, who plays exclusively on the outside, who are kind of waiting to pop, who's not necessarily known just yet for his craft and his ability to get separation but I just like Brian Thomas, and I feel like I've been one of those guys that just wants to see him in that role. And I want to see him get more of those 50-50 opportunities because you should have that this year. And especially knowing that you're probably going to stick your top corner on Malik Neighbors, maybe maybe a little bit of a shadow situation. I, I think that we could end up seeing Brian Thomas have these unbelievable jaw-dropping catches in which we're like, it's not fair that that's LSU's second option. And suddenly LSU has that embarrassment of riches at the pass catcher positions. Man, you were an LSU football understander with this one. This actually probably would have been my guy too. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen the second guy at LSU, you know, 
pop off. We saw it last year with neighbors, honestly, yep. you know, like that role is so nice at LSU. It's n- Here's the thing. There's very rarely one good receiver at LSU, unless you're DJ chart. There's always like, it's either you got two guys or you got no guys. And I think that uh, this year, you know, that he's going to take so much off of neighbors. who now like is kind of in the booty role where he has the, um, a weird thing to say anyway he has like a lot of the press coming in from the year so like you're, you're right the number one matchup is always going to be him he's going to be part of the game plan but to your point brian thomas his ability to win 50 50 balls his ability to make highlight plays that's exactly the type of like pressure release valve that's great to have because it's like oh everyone's draped over this guy well, we got this leviathan over here that we can just put the ball near um yeah i think that yeah that's honestly my guy too i think that uh omar spates deserves a little bit of love too i think he's going to be the key for this defense i think that if he plays at the same level he's playing on the pac-12 the defense will be fine if he struggles ain't nobody behind (laughs) so i think we gotta make the trouble for lsu to be good i thought about putting him on here but then i talked myself out of it because he was a first team pac-12 guy and Mm. i was like i know technically the rule is first team all sec guy he probably won't get that preseason all SEC love because, of course, we got to see you do it in the SEC before. Oh, yeah. we can the writers are gonna be like, "Oh, cool, Oregon State. All right, yeah. man, where's that?" It's like Oregon State finishes as a top fifteen team and beat an SEC team in a bowl game. Don't get mad, at Florida fans. I realize your roster was depleted, but at the same time, like Oregon State was by no means a slouch last year, and the Pac-12 was actually pretty good if we're being one hundred percent honest. But yes, uh, a lot of guys that you can bang the drum for for this LSU team. Mizzou, a little bit tougher, a little bit tougher. And this is where we get into the, uh, he is a second team, all SEC guy. And Mizzou fans, look, they know how good this guy is. But Javon Foster, the offensive tackle who comes back with a better pass blocking grade than any power five tackle last year, just among the returners. That's, you know, take, take PFF grades for what they are. I know they get a lot of pushback. You do like the fact that this guy only had a 3.5% pressure rate. This was somebody that was a big part of what they were trying to do offensively. When he announced that he was coming back, you're like, oh, breathe a sigh of relief. You can do a lot of different things when you know you got your left tackle taken care of. Even if you have sort of this rotating quarterback situation, it remains to be seen if Brady Cook is going to be the guy long term. You at least feel like, okay. You have that guy that's going to be able to protect you. If Mizzou does end up turning to Sam Horn, uh, somewhat undersized Sam Horn, you want to have your left tackle position figured out. You don't want to be rotating guys in and out, hoping, ah, you know what, maybe we'll move this guard over and hope that he can kick out and be that. No, no, no. Javon Foster takes care of that. You can do a lot of things when you know you have that position figured out. He could develop into an early-round prospect. This year, I would hope and expect the Kirby Moore version of the Mizzou offense with him calling plays is going to be better than what we've seen in the last few years with Drink. Not a given, but every bad team should at least have a good left tackle. You know, that's that's like the it's like if you could draft good positions, it's like you want a quarterback and that left tackle is probably like right after that and like outside linebacker. But yeah, you're right. I think I love these guys getting the love because that's another guy. I mean, we've all seen it, you know, at the end of the year when we start talking about drafts, we talk about awards. It's like, huh? And you start seeing guys where it's like, like you said, like highest PFF grade, which is not everything, but it's not nothing. Like it's hard to have the best PFF grade and be trash. So like, that's a pretty, that's like really interesting for them. And yet, and especially the style that they want to run with drink where it's very like, Hard nosed football, I think we could call it. Um, quickly, I just want to talk about Peanut Houston. Um, who is you in love the names, man? You're all over the the all name team. That, that Listen, is banging the drum for Peanut. I'm I'm here for it. 
listen, we both went in different directions with Mizzou. I just, I think you're right. I think Mizzou fans need to smile a little bit. Peanut Houston, he's a, like a backup receiver. He's obviously not through the burden, but he's a guy whose name you'll hear once or twice this year in big moments. Transferred from Nebraska, from Oklahoma. Um, just just kind of a dude who's trying to make his name in college football. And like I said, I think, like, you know, there's like a guy in your program where you're like, okay, this guy made this play, and, you know, he's going to be um, like Fouchois against um, Ole Miss, where it's like, oh, this is going to be remembered forever. Seems like he could be one of those guys. Where like Joe Fouché. Joe Fouché. Fouché, right? sorry. I turned him like way more Cajun than he is. I was anyway. like, Fouchois. Like, oh, man, that is, no. that, I like that. <laughs> That's actually better than Fouché, though. Whenever I see a Cajun name, I just – Caging it up. Anyway, yeah. it, I know he's not Caging. But anyway, so, yeah, it's like that could be one of those guys. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think that Mizzou is going to be, like, kind of a little bit boring, you know, if they're good. Like, maybe we'll find some fun guys. But there's not really a ton to get excited about, just to be honest, in the preseason. So, I think, yeah, I think I think it's a couple of fun guys. Yeah, I don't need to bang the drum for Luther Burden. I don't. Yeah. Um, that's Every that, broadcast is like, why aren't they throwing the football to Luther Burden right now? We're, we're at commercial, sir. No, right now. We need to throw him the ball right now. Relax, guy. <laughs> that, that RG3 broadcast last year. I, mm, man, that was, that was, it was very interesting that we had him on right after that happened too, yeah. where he was pretty fired up about that during the broadcast. Why aren't they getting the ball to him? Why aren't they getting the ball to him? And then that whole weirdness about like his injury stuff and, Oh yeah, they were just keeping that locked down. Sure they were. Um, yes, Mizzou, hopefully not a boring offense this year. Mizzou fans deserve better. Right. Different offense for Mississippi State this year. And that is why this guy is on my list. A familiar name a little bit, but not necessarily a guy that's going to be getting a lot of that all-conference love or anything like that. Jaquavius Marks, the man they call Woody. Great nickname. Great mm-hmm. nickname. Woody Marks. He's on this list because... If we're talking about the Kevin Barbe offense, which you are now a huge stand for, of big course. time stand, day one, running backs are going to get more involved. Running backs mm-hmm. aren't just going to be out in the flat catching swing passes and pretending like that's a carry. That is not going to be the thing. It might take a little bit to get a traditional handoff figured out, as we saw in the spring game with Will Rogers. Work in progress. Okay. That's what spring games are for, brother. Hey, get it out now. Get it out now. Yeah. we. If you're fumbling twice on a routine carry in October, we'll talk then. But right. assuming that Woody Marks still going to be getting the rock, I think he can be a really good between the tackles guy. I, I think his burst is, is kind of quietly underrated. If you're watching that Egg Bowl last year and you're seeing the way that Ole Miss is just almost taken aback by his speed and what he can do as a more traditional back, you're like, why are they running the ball more with this guy? Why aren't they letting him line up and get 10 to 15 carries in a given game? And I know we had moments last year where we're like, oh, look, Leach is bordering on, on being a running team. And they still finished last in the country in runs because that's what the Leach air raid was. And it wasn't mm-hmm. going to deviate from that. I think you're looking at an offense that will have a new identity this year. And Mark's sticking around is obviously going to benefit them. The awkward exit that we had with Dylan Johnson with throwing Leach under the bus, like the timing of that just ended up looking really awkward and weird. He ends up going to Washington. But Jaquavius Marks is suddenly now this really experienced guy in that backfield who can do a lot of different things for you. And I think Kevin Barbe uses that as a really nice safety blanket, not just catching passes in the flat, like I said, but being that guy who can kind of establish your identity. We talk about that. Establish your year one identity. Show the recruiting world. Running backs, you can come here. It's fun. I promise. You'll enjoy this. It's not just going to be catching passes. I think Jaquavius Marks gets used a lot in this offense, but in a different way than obviously he was used with Mike Leach. 
Yeah, no, this is total alignment. I, I agree. That guy is going to be, and because we just, we know who Will Rogers is. We know he's going to be good. And I think we're both pretty aligned that if you can make that many reads in the game, cut that number in half, brother, they'll be even better. In some way being like, I think that, yeah, like when you go from the concept of like a safety valve for your running back, is just like a dump off pass. And now you have a guy who is actually like involved in the game plan and can flip a game. Cause like you could argue that like in a couple of games, like some of those style of passes with the running backs, like got the ground, got the offense going, but it's just nice, especially in the pistol to be able to lean on this guy. So you're right. Like this is a guy that we talked about a little bit last year, but it was kind of more of like, it was like a, um, it was like an idealistic ETM situation where it was like, he will never get these carries, but it'd be nice to see a little bit more of them. But now obviously due to unfortunate circumstances, their offense completely turns over. So, you know, silver lining there might be that we get to see a little bit more Jacobius Marks, who's a great player, or at least a very good player. We know, you know, in the way that I would stand up from my couch. And when I see a wheel route developing and I just mm-hmm. want to yell at my TV, wheel route, wheel route. I think you should be able to stand up and when you see a productive play happening out of the pistol, you just yell uncontrollably at your television, pistol, 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 and see what you kind don't have of next door. <laughs> you think I can do that? You don't have the next door out. My neighbors would be like, someone has a gun. Just see what kind of reaction you would get to something like that. But yes, he'll have a lot of success out of the pistol. And whether or not Will shouts that in his living room remains to be seen. Let's stick with running backs. This is my last running back on the list. I've gone running back heavy early, but I do find myself liking a lot of the things that these guys bring to the table. This guy is not even going to be the most prominent running back in his own backfield. But for Ole Miss, we're going with Ulysses Bentley, the fourth. Yes, the fourth. They're like, we're not going to run it back once with that Nick with that name. We're going to run it back twice. No, no, no. We're going to run it back three times. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth. Last year, I thought he was going to be the number two. I thought it was going to be Zach Evans coming over from TCU. I thought Ulysses Bentley coming over from SMU. They're going to be a really great one-two punch. And then Bentley gets hurt early in the year. And very quickly, we realize Quinshawn Judkins is a thing. Oh, my gosh. This guy is special. And Bentley had really unfortunate timing with the injury, of course. But Lane talked about this in the spring game. He kind of was one of those guys who came into the SEC and thought he could have the same exact approach that he had at SMU, where you're at a group of five program, just kind of run around everybody. It's a little bit more of like that high school mindset of, oh, I'm going to just trust my speed to get to the outside. And Lane's Mm -hmm. like, man, just one cut north, south, go. That's that's what you need to be able to do. And when he did that in the spring game, Lane had this like hallelujah moment where he's like, all right, he's getting it. He's figuring this out. That's good. That's what you want to be able to see because that Ole Miss offense with the way that they run tempo, with the way that offensive line, you kind of trust them to just figure things out. One cut and go, man. One cut and go. And that's why Judkins became a thing so quickly was because he understood the scheme. He understood those concepts. And with Bentley, it just kind of took a little bit longer. So, yes, a little bit of this is because you see a guy do great things in the spring. You want to be able to go bang the drum for him. But with all the attention that Judkins is going to get, we we can't forget it usually takes several backs in the lane offense to kind of get them to their peak. I think Bentley is a big big part of that this year even if he doesn't necessarily have all sec upside yes no i think you're exactly right i think that you know almost every stop even you know fau lane has been able to get talented players involved he's a big believer in like 
uh, the opposite of the hot hand, like whoever is the freshest he likes to go with. It's like, all right, like, cause it's a matchup. It's like a D line. It's like, let's get a new running back in here. Cause they're playing the same D line. And so, yeah, I, I love this one. I can't, you know, I'm not even going to change this. I do want to ask you just kind of a general question. Who do you think is going to be almost a leading receiver? There's a lot of dudes back there. I don't even know who's going to end up being that guy. Not going to be Chris Marshall. We know that. Um, yikes. Uh, that, that, that tweet came out of the woodwork, the former five-star from, from AM and the way that that played out with like Lane poking fun at Jimbo in the spring game because Marshall like didn't give the ball back to, to the ref enough to run the tempo and then you know gets kicked off the team for violation of team rules. Um I'm not gonna give an answer on that just yet. Yeah, I'm not we'll, we'll wait. I'm just, I'm just trying to think like I think this ground game is gonna be even an even bigger deal than it was last year because they had two or three good receivers last year. And I don't they get the tight end coming in. Uh was it Priest Corn from from Memphis who like mm-hmm. that guy had a really, really good year last year and comes in and they, they had Michael Trigg from USC and he ends up I think he ended up getting hurt last year. After everybody was talking about the Jackson Dart Michael Trigg connection, oh man, this mm-hmm. is really going to take off. It's going to be one of one of the best one two punches in the SEC, and then that didn't end up necessarily happening. I think they're going to rely on those tight ends a lot. Obviously, it's going to be tough to replace Mingo, but I don't. I always feel reluctant to to say that one guy is going to be that kind of standout for Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll I'll hold back on that. I'll say that they lean more heavily on their tight ends though. I mean, I'm looking at this now and it's like kind of underrated. Like I hate to bring this up again, but like Ole Miss just like Lane just kind of spent a middle, like three, four games last season, just kind of pouting. And that roster was really good. Like not like SEC championship good, but like, like they were top 10 team when they played LSU. And like, I'm thinking about the guys they lost. And I'm like, oh, you guys had like a lot of offensive talent that you got to replace. And so, yeah, I think, I think they're still going to be fine because it's not like he needs talent to be effective. But it feels like as I'm looking at this next year's depth chart, they actually kind of had a missed opportunity last year. But I, I, I do think that, well, point being, I think the offense is going to change. I think they have like lots of deep passes. Like, cause those guys were just open like all the time. Like, that's another example for an LSU game where it's like dudes were just open. And so it's going to be interesting to see who that guy will be this year. And if they don't have that guy to your point, you know, they got two tight ends that you, kind of feel like could be useful and then they got two running backs so it's like maybe the offense instead of being that vertical offense that we saw a little bit last year be effective it's a little bit more trickeration and more like oh who's got the ball and he's gone you know i think they're gonna try and preserve judkins at some (laughs) point and like i i get it he's he's young but man that guy had a ton of work in high school Mm -hmm. too a ton of work i can't remember how many how many carries he got in that state championship that Lane was at, the picture that always goes viral of him in the bleachers and it's like cold, rainy, sleet, whatever. Mm-hmm. It was negative 20 degrees. No, it wasn't. But um, like I, he's somebody that they're they're going to want to try and make sure that he's good for the entire year. Another reason why Bentley could be more involved in having some of those 100-yard games this year. Would not be surprised to see that. Let me ask you a question. We talked about ETN. I think I know the answer there for LSU. If Judkins is at Alabama, do you think he's starting? wait like last year or this year because this, this year, year hell yes are you kidding just me? making sure because we've talked about kind of his story and like how he came up and everything that's one oh. that doesn't get discussed enough where it's like oh dude, i get what you're saying because bit. because he's coming from the state of alabama he was a right. three-star recruit he was at pike Road. Yes. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, he's I like see. their version of etn kind of where it's like where was this guy hold on we could use this guy i i see what you're saying okay yeah yeah, yeah. That, at first i'm like wait a minute or we're talking about whether or not a preseason all-american is going to start at alabama you better believe he's going to start at alabama but yes, no, that, yeah that makes a lot of sense definitely some one that got away type vibes with him south carolina nick him in worry 
who I just butchered the pronunciation of his last name, Nick Eamon Ward. Eamon Ward? We're going to get it right. We're going to get it right. Help you. you got this one. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> the stud safety who became almost an instant thing last year and was a thing in the recruiting process because he kind of like said like Clemson, you're on the clock and kind of was calling out Clemson and he gets to play a big part in beating Clemson year one as a true freshman starter in this league. The thing that I that I found myself thinking about a lot early in the season because he was something that we were hearing about in those first couple of weeks and then that Georgia game, the sequence that stands out to me, and I remember watching this live going, save that one, file that one for later. We know what this Georgia offense thinks about being able to attack with Brock Bowers in different spots and the different matchups that they want to try and get him in. When even Worry goes down with an injury in that game, a game that was already decided, it was already over or whatever. But immediately, Todd Munkin's like, we're attacking the second level. We're going to have a seam for Bowers. Bennett's going to hit him. We're going to attack this, this safety. They, I don't care that this guy was only a true freshman. He's now out of the game. We need to go attack his backup. Mm-hmm. And boom, what do you know? That's exactly what they do. Bowers makes like two guys miss in the open field. 78-yard touchdown. Ridiculous play that'll be all over his NFL draft film. If that true freshman is in the game, Playing in his first month of the season, that sequence doesn't happen. There's no way. He's way too good in coverage. He is, eh, I shouldn't say he's way too good in coverage. He's good enough in coverage. Guy's 6'4". He's 6'4", and he can freaking jet. Might be the fastest guy on the team. He's still, though, what what is going to be like his most redeeming thing, especially for a South Carolina defense where you're kind of wondering where those pieces are going to be in the defensive line this year after all the talent that they had to replace there. He's still just an unbelievably sure-handed tackler. You see some of the plays that he's making, and I included this in the in the, the article that I wrote for SaturdayDownSouth.com. Go check it out if you want to see the written version of the All Bang the Drum Team. There was a play early on, man, where he took KJ in the open field just like head on. And mm-hmm. KJ with a head of steam, if you're Unit. willing to <laughs> – boy, <laughs> he's coming. <laughs> oh, Lord. Like, <laughs> Oh, Lord, he's coming. He just takes him on. And that that speaks to the mindset. If you're willing to stick your head into the fray that quickly in this conference, 62 solo stops for Eamon Worry last year. That is darn impressive. 6'4", 220, can run you out of the gym. I know they don't play in a gym. You know what I'm saying. Going to be a fun guy to watch. Already probably the best player on that South Carolina defense. Something that Shane Beamer is super, super high on. I predicted he will be ineligible for this list next year because he will be an all-SEC safety this year. Yes. Um, yeah, I think South Carolina is another roster that just has a ton of those guys. And, yeah, I think you're right. Like, that's a South Carolina defense that, you know, <laughs> their their strength, you could argue, was kind of that that like the D-line they obviously like lost their D-line coach. So it's like, well, where's that going to be? So that could be another like key guy where you're like, Oh, he's off the field. This is a different game because they can attack that side of the field. And, and yeah, I think um, we kind of went deeper, like in the South Carolina's roster last year, I think, because there were so many just interesting players and plays. Um, I think to carry in Dorner, I think is super fun. I think we talked about him a lot, you know, he's on this last year. Yep. Yep. yep, exactly. Like, it's like he's back again. You know, I'm back again. Anyway, so I think that uh, just generally watch South Carolina this year. They're another team that's like a very – like, it's one of those – I don't even want to go back through some of these guys because, like, a lot of them are coming back. 
Um, I talked about Trey Knox. He was in the anti-bang the drum team for yeah. you. You wanted to see less of him. So I'm not, yeah. I've already talked about his dog food ad. I've already talked about how he is the brightest smile I've ever seen in my life. If you guys want to go follow Trey Knox, I don't, you know, but I think he's cool. But yeah, I just think overall, this is going to be a very interesting. I'm not going to put them in the fun category quite yet, but they could be. Do I need a quiet the noise team? I a mean, quiet the noise team. Mm. It's mm. Trey Knox would probably be on that team. Yeah. Probably be on. Look, hope he does well. Hope he does really well. Uh, look at the numbers as we brought up after the spring game like look at the numbers against power five competition the last couple of years and then you'll kind of see why this guy has is is going into is going into this this stage in his career and he's still trying to show that he is that guy and he can be a reliable piece of your offense tennessee squirrel white we love names we do never bet against a man named squirrel that's what i always say Mm-hmm. You know, a one for one. The guy's name is Squirrel. Pretty good. So works out. Always works out. Peanut, Squirrel, whatever. You just bet on those guys. You just assume they're going to be good. Any, any, anybody in that that can have a, a a first name that is just something that could be conceived as adorable. Sure, it's like a boy named Sue, a boy named Squirrel. He got this far in life. He had to be tough. And it's really depressing seeing that Squirrel White. Is five ten and he's taller than me. That's 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 a tough look for your boy. Don't like that. Um, okay. Why do we love Squirrel White? I got a stat for you. I got a stat. He did not play more than twenty snaps. All but he played played more than twenty snaps once until week twelve last year. Right. So backup role. Jalen Hyatt's winning the Blitnikoff. He's lining up in the slot for you. You know that your reps are going to be limited. His opportunities were not necessarily there until late in the season. So, again, he had one game with 20 snaps in the first 11 weeks of the season. He finished the year with more 40-yard catches of any returning SEC receiver. The only guy in the SEC all last year who had more 40-yard catches than Squirrel White was the guy starting in his place, Jalen Hyatt. Mm-hmm. Buddy, we can talk all we want about Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy's great. I will give that guy respect. I love the toughness, the tenacity that that dude plays with. He will be a weapon for Joe Milton. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. But we talk about this. Sometimes when you're used to getting those reps with the second teamers and you develop that rapport with your starting quarterback, when we know Joe Milton's getting all those second team reps last year, Squirrel White, mm-hmm. Squirrel White, he's he's on that second team. You watch what he did down the stretch. You watch that Orange Bowl and you see the rapport that those two had, that Joe Milton can even take something off of that throw 60 yards downfield and he knows he's got Squirrel White streaking right at the end zone to be able to hit him in stride. Mm-hmm. you're thinking this guy could pop if there is a dark horse guy to lead the sec in receiving it's squirrel white he is that guy if he ends up having a 1300 yard a 1400 yard season we should not be surprised whatsoever the josh heupel offense is going to spit out one of these Bru McCoy, I'm not convinced is going to be like a 1400 yard guy he might end up getting the preseason all sec love Buy stock and squirrel white. He's going to mm-hmm. be awesome. No, yeah, this is one that I'm. I think we're completely aligned to your point. It's like I don't. It's like a 
when Alvin Kamara first got touches with the Saints, it's like every mm-hmm. touch that this guy got was like electric, similar to ETN in that way. But it's like, but the kind of like pass catcher version of that is a little bit different because it's like, oh, every time you get a target is something, which for, you know, for that 70 yard touchdown, it's, you know, these huge that I love that stat so much. And we saw that a little bit with Cedric Tillman two years ago, where it was like, oh, they figured out they had this guy the back half of the year and then suddenly everything changed. And it's like, not to say Squirrel White is on that level necessarily, but he's better at other things. You know what I'm saying? Like he has a defined skill set. And in college football period, if you have a defined skill set, most guys like NFL guys don't figure that out till like a couple years in the league. So like to be like, okay, I know I'm finna go. <laughs> like I'm about to go. And in this offense, we got Bazooka Joe and I'm finna go. And that's all of a deed. And so it's like he... He like that's such a per I, I love the thing about the second team thing, man, because it's like, oh, they replaced with this production, but it's like, think about that. It's like how many reps was Bruce McCoy really getting with those other two monster receivers? I'm sure he got a couple of second team reps as well, even though they started three receivers, just because it's like we gotta give Joe Joe Milton something. We got so it's like having like losing those two guys, like we talked about it, where it's like those were just two different eras of Tennessee football. Like the Hendon Hooker era. And the Joe Milton era, there's not going to be a ton of crossover with offensive personnel. And it's good they kept that second team intact to kind of be the future in 2023. So, yeah, I think they have, like, once again, they have found a good quarterback who we think, like, if you listen to the C-Fans, they think he'd be great. We at least think he's improved and fun. And then they got two pass catchers who, like, perfectly fit his skill set. You have, like, the contested catch guy, like we just talked about with Brian Thomas, who's a little, I'd say as good, not a little bit better. Brew McCoy, probably the offense definitely showcases him a little bit more. He's a better recruit, you know, but when you give that guy the one reps and you just start feeding that monster, the ball, then you have squirrel white, which again, it's like the opposite. It's like, Oh, well now we're all draped all over Brew McCoy. Oh my gosh, this guy's opening in. He has 200 yes. receiving yards. What are we doing? <laughs> Look, a lot of, a lot of talk about the Tennessee offense and the route tree with Jalen Hyatt and what is he actually doing in this offense? What are the reads? What are the progressions? Say what you want about all of those things. Josh Heupel and that staff, they know how to scheme open looks for that slot receiver. <laughs> they yep. do. How many different times did we see Jalen Hyatt somehow one-on-one with an over-the-top safety who could not keep up with him? Squirrel White's going to be put in a lot of those spots, and I don't mean to say that to diminish Jalen Hyatt, friend of the program, guy that we have stood up for and and gosh every single time the bears passed on him in the draft it was just like ugh, knife to the heart but i am a believer in squirrel white for all of those reasons and man if there's ever a guy that joe milton should have that rapport with and not be overthrowing by 10 yards it is squirrel white because and I'm he's confident. so fast that's the beauty of right? it bazooka joe can overthrow him and he will simply catch it bazooka joe can overthrow anybody he can overthrow yes look but this I, is I don't the only care case it could be a completion <laughs> i don't care what county you're in if you say ball joe milton can overthrow you all right <laughs> square white though best chance of not getting overthrown of any tennessee receiver let's go to texas a mckinley jackson we're going to the defensive tackle a guy that david nuno talked about on these airwaves and, and he's right and the more that you kind of dig into it you realize wow AM last year, even with the, the talent that they had on defense, they had just major, major flaws. Now, McKinley Jackson was essentially hurt for half the year and would have been a guy that could have greatly improved their run defense, which was so bad. It was so atypically bad. And I realized they end up having the number one passing defense 
in the entire FBS, which is kind of under the radar stat, a little bit. No, yes. what? Look it up right now. The efficiency, not number one, in part because when you're leading against AM, and you're going to throw less. Like you, mm-hmm. you can understand from that standpoint, they were really good defending the pass for a lot of the season, but. It's like, okay, are you really good defending the pass? Because everybody's like, we can just run the football. We don't have to throw on you. Yeah, that's probably part of it. McKinley Jackson, when he was out there at the defensive tackle position, was really good. Limited season. Essentially half of a season ends up still having seven TFLs as a guy that is just that disruptor that you need in the middle of your defensive line. He and Walter Nolan if they're not one of the best defensive line duos in the sec, I'll be surprised. There's hope that Walter Nolan, who was number two overall recruit in that 2022 class, who got a lot of reps last year, that if he and McKinley Jackson are not forming one of the best defensive line duos in the country, then something has gone horribly, horribly wrong. You hope that he can stay healthy. That seems to be the biggest thing with McKinley Jackson wasn't out there for for the spring game was dealing with the you know was dealing with I think it was a knee injury or something like that as well but him coming back for his senior year he might have been even more important than Anaya Smith coming back given the questions that we have about AM's defense being improved against the run we can talk all we want about Jimbo Fisher's lack of creativity on offense if you can't defend the run to save your life in this conference forget about it you're not going to have a chance yeah, I'm just blown away by this list. I'm sorry. That is a really good note about AM's past defense. They were number one, kind of. I'm not going to say going away. And they did play one fewer game there, everybody, because they missed a bowl game. But at the same time, but it's still average. It's still no, average. No, no, no. The per game. That's, that's what I was about to say. Like, the per, like, I'm aware they missed a bowl game. Trust me. But the per game stats, and like, if you compare, it's like they're number one, then Air Force and Army are two and three. They saw more pass reps than those two. You know what I'm saying? And so, and then FSU is number four. That's uh, not making me feel great. But anyway, so yeah, I think they, I think that's like kind of underrated. I didn't even know it to be honest. It's like their defense is actually kind of solid. Just their offense was a train wreck, which hey, they got Bobby Petrino now. So if you just take kind of piece last year's defense, new offense with a good quarterback. Yeah. And so, but to your point, yeah, I think that all starts up front. And with those, you know, that's where the talent really starts to matter. When you start to measure guys' height and weight. And when you get those guys up front, I, I think that they do have the 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 ability to really like hurt some people. Need game records, need guys that can get you behind schedule, mm-hmm. need to be able to to rush the passer with with three or four and and have success and and feel like you don't necessarily need to load the box to be able to defend the run. And then you become a more of a liability in coverage, which they weren't a liability in coverage last year, but at the same time, they they were so young up front, in part because of injuries and in part just because that's that's what their roster was. Like that's what I kept pushing back on when when RJ Young came on these airwaves and he had AM as like his number three or three team in the country, number four team. I'm like, did you see all that they lost in the front seven? Like they have major questions to be able to answer. It is totally different in that department this year. They should be significantly improved. And because of having somebody like Jackson back, I do expect that's part of why AM should be the most improved team in the SEC. Again, that's not saying that much. But still, going from five wins to eight, that would probably be very significant, and Jackson will be a big part of that. Who do you think is more likely to get from five wins to eight, Auburn or AM? Hmm. Regular season or including postseason? You tell me. Hmm. I think I'll A&M say is, regular season. I'll say AM. AM is more likely to get there. Just because I, I feel like the tweaks with AM are a lot schematic. Whereas if you're still mm-hmm. trying to, 
you know, they did AM didn't have to overhaul its roster in the way that Auburn did. And you're trying to make some of those pieces work. And you're also trying to be able to implement new schemes and doing it from that standpoint. So I'll, I'll say AM because also let's not forget, and this is going to sound like it's pro AM, even though I've criticized them a lot last year. They still played with the two best teams in the in the in the division really, really well. Okay. Like yeah. that, that has to count for for something. The fact that they beat LSU the way that they did late in the season, the fact that they're they a positive point differential. Like it's those two teams if you Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're a competent goal line call away from beating Alabama. I understand it was with Jalen Milrow. It wasn't with Bryce Young, but man, like who's their quarterback this year? Not Bryce Young. So, yeah. so I look at it from that standpoint, and that's why I might be a little bit higher than the consensus when it comes to AM making that improvement. We talked about this a little bit kind of in the spring game recaps, but they have some dudes on this offense as far as the receivers. And I think that getting a new OC, getting a quarterback that seems to know what he's doing in terms of learning this this new offense. Like, I think he only had one year of bad reps, which is actually great. Like, you don't want to play for Jimbo Fisher ever. So, like, like in terms of an OC, you know what I'm saying? Like, so if he had three years in that system, I'd be like, it's too late for you, son. But just one year where you got to figure it out. I think that it's going to be a great reset where we've seen him in kind of bad situations and and play well. Like even in like the South Carolina game, it was like, all right, like this guy kind of isn't the problem. Like he didn't play great at all. He didn't play well, but it was like at the the end of that game, you're like, this kid's still out there, like giving his heart for this. And so point being, you know, Moose Muhammad, we saw Jalen Preston have a really good spring game. I think obviously Evan Stewart's there. I understand that. But I think that this offense is going to sneaky be like a top. Careful. (laughs) Careful. Gonna take a breath there. They will, I feel like at least top five in the SEC is fair. Can we say that? Uh, that's I'm not going so there. many teams. He's uh, five with Petrino and a quarterback that we both like and like deep talented receivers. I think they could get there. Well, look up where the top five offense in the SEC finished last year nationally. Well, look, Munkin's gone. Okay. Don't do, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say that AM is about to have a better offense than Georgia. Don't, I'm not. Look, I'm just I'm just saying like the why okay, look at the offenses. It's like how many of these guys are still here? That's all I'm saying, you know? Mm, I'd push Hypo back. will be there. Hypo will be there, but I think they'll be like right there, five, six, which would be a huge improvement. Okay. All right. You're on the record. Bold and brash. <laughs> all right, let's end with Vandy. CJ Taylor is the guy that I have here. Love that Clark Lee, and I should have asked him about this when we had him on, love that he's got an anchor position in his defense. Have to. Oh, my God, yes. God, don't, yes. Don't give me star. No, no, no. Give me anchor. Everybody should have anchor, not just Vandy, because it works because it's Vandy. CJ Taylor is his anchor. Guy was awesome last year. Ask Florida fans about the impact that guy was making. He was breaking up all these third down passes. He was a key, key piece of that defense that still lacked dudes. They lost their probably their best player in Anthony Orgy to the NFL. But you're still coming back with a guy who had some options. Reading the story in the Tennessee, and Tennessee came after him. Could have had some NIL opportunities. Could have helped mm-hmm. a secondary that that needs some improvements. We talked about that with Tennessee. He says, no, I'm sticking here. I'm the anchor. That's what I'm going to do. He didn't say that, but it wouldn't be surprising if he said something like that. He's going to be put in a lot of those different spots. Talked about that with the the position versatility with somebody like Walker coming in from, from Baylor to Arkansas and all the different things that you hope that somebody like this with experience year three can be able to do with Clark Lee. They need more guys like CJ Taylor. Just downhill, I don't care what uniform I'm wearing. I'm going to go after you. I'm going to be aggressive. 
Vandy's defense has been on its heels for too much, really since things started to fall off with Derek Mason. And so many different times you're like, man, they don't they don't have guys that look like they belong out there. CJ Taylor belongs. That guy absolutely belongs. He's going to make a ton of plays for him. Would have been an interesting thing to see Vandy's best returning defensive player cross enemy lines and go to Tennessee, but that didn't end up happening. Take the over on three and a half wins for Vandy. We're saying it now. Oh, yes. I'm, I love Clark Lee so much. Like, I love, he is such a football guy. Everything I learned about him, I want him to be successful so bad because I want him to be on like more interviews. I want him to have game day segments. I, I'm looking at like, I go to this website like for like depth charts. So I've been like clicking around for this whole time to like make sure I'm remembering guys' names correctly. And they have not like on an unofficial site, even they have not only an anchor, but also a star. So don't you listen. If you think they didn't have a star, wrong. They, sure. According to this site, you know what I'm saying? Not you, but just like, buddy, if there's a fun position, he'd try to get a wild hog out of Arkansas if it wasn't stealing. I love this. Like the fact that he's just so about it and like, that they need to bring in like a dark money recruiting coordinator because if they can get some talent over there, I really like the job he's doing as a coach. Like in terms of at least like motivating the guys, getting them to buy in, you know, they had some issues with OC last year, but of course, you know, he's not scared to pull that, to pull the rug out from under somebody if they're struggling. So I don't know. I just, I think that the running back situation is going to be interesting. I got Cedric Alexander coming in, but like you're right. They lost, um, they lost the running back. So it's like, what are they going to do? Um, So yeah, I think, you know, they definitely have some questions to answer. Swans obviously back, but uh, this is a team that I'm not going to call them fun yet because I don't. You got to do it a couple of years in a row. It's like the op. It's like the other end of the spectrum of the Texas thing. It's like I can't get excited about Vandy two years in a row until they do something for two years in a row because Vandy was fun last year. I enjoyed a couple of the Vandy games for sure, even in their losses. But you got to put together a couple of seasons like that before I start tuning into Vandy with uh, expectations. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing though: they went five and seven, and you look at the raw numbers for their defense. It was putrid. It was terrible. And they still, even though it did not look like Clark Lee's defense was anywhere near the level that he was hoping it would be at, they still put together a year in which they beat multiple SEC teams, SEC teams that spent time in the top 25, that spent Mm -hmm. time in the top 15 because it was Florida and Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And they had both of those games in which you're like, this is kind of working. And they showed it in flashes, of course, they had other games in which you see the way that it fell apart against Ole Miss, a game that they looked like they were in control of, and then defensively, they very quickly had zero answers whatsoever. And you're kind of reminded, eh, they're, they're a ways off. They're still a ways off. They're still struggling there. If they can put together just a passable SEC defense, flirt with mediocrity, that's what we say. Flirt with mediocrity with guys like C.J. Taylor. I'm not saying that it's imminent that they get to a bowl game. I'm not saying that. We're not sipping the Vandy Kool-Aid that much. Three and a half wins, man. Come on. Three and a half? I feel like I'm Dari Noka just banging the drum for Vandy to be able to to hit the the over, popping the champagne in September. Could they do that Mm -hmm. in September again? Very much on the table. They could start out four and two. Don't rule that out. Last year, they were 89th in points per game and 125th and points again so at five and seven still a massive room for improvement because there were some games that they were getting dog walked like early in the year especially and they kind of like i guess turned a corner like the tennessee game was obviously pretty rough but like it's just you know to to, to win games when your team isn't even statistically good it's like it's a little bit of the nfl like like oh he's a winner 
It's like when you need to lock in when guys can, when they're not talented and when you don't have a history of like, when you watch guys run into your end zone over and over and over again, we've seen this with Ole Miss. It's like, you can't mentally get yourself back to like, we are this hard nosed defense, but they got stops when they needed to get stops in those games. And I think that that's, that's good. So there's definitely some stuff for Clark Lee to figure out. We're not like totally like they're, they're in a different conversation than the other, like we talked about, uh, we talked about Auburn and A&M. They're not there. Like they could regress from five wins, but statistically, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they got nowhere to go but up. How about we only pop champagne for Vandy if they get to a bowl game? They, That's they're, perfect. They burn that that respect. We're we're not making the pop champagne jokes the way that we were last September for hitting the over. Nah, that's we're we're not we're we're not settling for four right. wins. All right, we're we're not. We're going to bowl or bust. But yes, that is the all bang the drum team. Maybe coming soon. All quiet the noise team. Maybe we'll get something like that going. Yes. No, I love these. Like I said, what's the the meme about? Let's talk about some dudes. Love talking about some dudes. Think that like that's a good like refresher, especially all the transfers and everything, man. Where it's like, oh, Knox is here now. Like da da. So it's good to just kind of like do a little refresh, and then obviously things will change. We're getting into what is it? Talking season. That's gonna be fun. Talking season is always season. Love it. You know what I don't do very much is talk about how great SaturdayDownSouth.com is. Very shameless. Not so much. Shameless plug of the best website you can possibly go to. You're sitting there in your office in these summer months and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, just give me one day closer to college football. Get me one day closer. We got you covered. We have you covered on SaturdayDownSouth.com. We crank out college football content 365 days a year, not just the big teams. We crank out content for everyone. And if you're like, hey, you know what? I'm actually kind of good on football. I've got, you know, maybe I've got my preseason magazine or something like that. I'm actually getting into other sports. Yeah, we got that too. We got that too because we cover college baseball. We got college softball coverage. We've got everything covered. SaturdayDownSouth.com. So I always tell people it is the true one-stop shop for any college sports fan. What was I thinking? Well, I'm, we're, we're going to get a little deep in this one. We're going to get a little, little deep to a place that I haven't really talked about on these airwaves. But I want, you, I want you to start. I want you to start. I don't want to start because last time I gave a whole preamble. Like I went first last time. You go first this time because okay. I very I over I, I I did not respect your game last time. I want to see what you got off the top. Okay. Fair. We're going to go back to pre-Lauren days of college. Pre-Lauren days of college was freshman through junior year. And for those who don't know, I went to college with my high school girlfriend who I dated for, for two and a half years and essentially a month into college. Um, I broke up with her. If you didn't hear that story on Paul Feinbaum's show at one point or another, not to get into that whole thing, but essentially we, neither of us, I think it's fair to say like neither of us were really at a place in our lives where we could do long distance relationships. Really mm-hmm. difficult. She was going to the university of Illinois. I was going to Indiana. Some might think, Oh, that's not really far apart. And eh, when you don't have a car and you're a college freshman, it's a lot farther than you probably realize. So one of the reasons that I broke up with her was because I realized I'm feeling a different way about her. And this becomes, this feels a little bit more like work and I'm starting to be like, wow, like I, I have feelings for, I also have feelings for another girl. Now this girl who we're going to, she's going to remain nameless for the duration of this podcast. We don't need to to put her on blast or anything like that because there's nothing, 
there's no bitterness from my perspective or anything like that. But where I was at freshman year of college, thinking I was going to break up with my high school girlfriend and maybe a few weeks were going to pass. And then I was going to date another girl. I was in this place as an 18 year old in which I did not understand what it meant to be on someone's hook. When I say that, what's the first thing that comes to mind of being on someone's hook in a relationship? Um, I, I think I first heard that on How I Met Your Mother. It's yes. just like an, an ongoing like bit of like, oh, one day, one day, and then no. I'm glad you referenced that because I was going to bring it up too. Mm-hmm. It's a Carrie Underwood episode of How I Met Your Mother, and they do a fantastic job of explaining this, wherein a certain Ted Mosby is on Carrie Underwood's hook as as ridiculous as that is to, to, to think about a process. There's no world in which that ever happened. But essentially the concept is what you said. One day we will, in this perfect world that opens up, we'll end up being together. And someone who keeps someone else on their hook does so for feeling this sense of safety, feeling like I want to have this just in case these other people that I'm pursuing or these other relationships don't work out. And I know I have you in my life and maybe just maybe this world can exist. And in reality, that world doesn't exist. And the problem is that you don't realize you're on someone's hook until years have passed. Yep. And that's what happened with me. And so I fell in love with the idea of this chase and Mm -hmm. the idea of one day this world is going to happen in which I am dating this girl, this girl that I met Right when I got on campus, my freshman year of college, a girl from California who was in a different sort of spot that a lot of other girls that I had, you know, typically interacted with at college were in. And one of the things that I noticed over the course of me kind of having this infatuation with her was that we talked all the time, but we talked the most when it was summer. And Mm -hmm. when it was summer and we were away from each other and she was back in California and I was in the suburbs of Chicago. And that's when, you know, like a nightly phone call became a regular thing. Mm -hmm. And I looked forward to talking to her. And when we were on campus in Indiana, like we saw each other every once in a while, like we saw each other, you know, occasionally social circles didn't really cross whatever. And so this entire time in which I'm on her hook, essentially, I didn't realize I was on her hook. I didn't realize that she still had kind of these feelings for like your high school boyfriend or whatever that had carried over and that it should have at a certain point had this reality check moment where it's sunk in for me, where I'm like, this isn't going to happen, man. This isn't going to happen. But I would tell myself all the time, what if this world exists in which it can't happen? And there's a lot of stuff that you get into with thinking you're not good enough for a specific person. And that's like the Mm -hmm. wrong mindset to have. Don't ever tell yourself that you're not good enough for someone. You are good enough for that person. And I told myself that. And I struggled with that a lot internally. And it was one of the reasons why junior year, going into my senior year of college, I was like, you know, really introspective and going through all this, this different self-improvement stuff. And with, you know, just kind of reassessing my priorities, trying to lose weight, doing all these different things that in hindsight, yes, it's good to do those things, but to do those things with the right sort of motivation is, is very different. And so I bring this all up because I didn't realize that I was on her hook and things going into my senior year of college, like going that summer, I thought it was finally going to happen. I mm-hmm. thought I was finally going to be off the hook. Things had escalated to a place where I 
took her on a couple of dates. Okay. I took her on a couple of dates. She was living in uh, in the city doing an internship in Chicago. I was actually interning with the Indianapolis Indians, but I was back in Chicago a decent amount because when the Indians were on the road and, you know, triple A schedule, they're on the road for like, they can be on the road for like eight days at a time. A lot of time I would just go back to Chicago, hang out with my friends. That was kind of my off time during that summer. So we we would hang out. And things got to a place that they hadn't been to in the previous two years. And I don't need to give you the details on that. But essentially, I was telling myself, we're going to actually date. And I'm going to date mm-hmm. this girl that I've been more or less obsessed with for like three years. And this is finally going to happen. And then there was one instance in which like, we went out like with all my friends from back home. It was a day that I was really looking forward to. Went to a Cubs game earlier in the day. Went out downtown Wrigleyville afterwards. Great time. One of those memories that like when you're in your, when you just turn 21, you kind of savor those experiences and you look forward to them and you kind of build them up in your head, maybe to be a little bit more than they are. And it, it sank in that night. This isn't going to happen. She's not into me in that way. And she's never going to be into me that way. And it wrecked me. I let that impact me in a way that I shouldn't have. And when it comes to self-worth and all those different things, I put way too much stock in that. And in hindsight, I look back on that and I'm grateful to have gone through that experience because it showed me that in a relationship, it's got to be a two-way street. And then I realized what a two-way street looks like when Lauren and I started dating. And I was like, this is it, man. And I was so confident a month into us being together that I was already over the the girl that I was on on the hook of. But Mm -hmm. what was I thinking was not understanding that if it doesn't happen over a certain time frame, you're you're you need to cut your losses you do and that's maybe an unpopular thing to say because all the movies tell you like if you love something keep pursuing it no no no. bs it's a two-way street it is a mr hallmark you root for these stories but buddy they are just stories they are just stories and and look some of them are great and some of Mm -hmm. them are, are awesome in that way but if you're if you're sitting there like year two year three wondering like ah you know is it will will we won't we take a good look in the mirror and ask yourself if you're on that person's hook or if you're putting someone else on your hook. And that is something that I struggled to understand for way too long. And it was like a, I was so blinded in these moments. And I was still infatuated with her even like after I met Lauren and we had like developed our little like work flirt or whatever. And I was so blinded by what that could be because of this. And it took over in a way that it shouldn't have ever happened in my life. But I'm grateful for having gone through this experience. I'm not a bitter towards her at all or anything like that. Cause I understand where she's coming from looking back on it, even though that might've been frustrating. I'm grateful that she kind of broke it off when, when she did so that I didn't waste even more time telling myself that this world exists and that one day you'll get there and it'll happen. And sometimes you just got to realize it's not in the cards, man. And that's okay. Yep. Not, and, and it's so tough too. And it's like one of those where it's like, they're kind of in your friend circle and you kind of like, you're in kind of like, we talked about how I met your mother, like you're in that dynamic where it's like, Oh, like I see this person socially. They're not just like a random person who I met on the street. They're not just like, they don't have their own little life over here. It's like, Oh, I'm, I always see this person. I always talk to this person. Like it could happen. But I mean, like you said, like, that's the thing about like, uh, 
I guess like I hate to say lust, but it's like if you're into someone, you're going to yes. know pretty much immediately. And a lot of people will talk themselves into someone after they spend time with them and be like, oh, I, I like this person. Why am I not attracted to them? It's so stupid how our like dumb like monkey brains work. But it's like you have to be attracted to someone to like fully fall in love with them. Because like we've all kind of had that person where it's like, oh, I love this person's personality, but I just can't like I don't have the spark. I don't have the lust. You know what I'm saying? And so you can have all the fun in the world hanging out with someone and you'd be like, Oh, this is a great time, but you can't manufacture that part of it, which when you have just that part of it, it's like the worst relationship in the world. That's the funny part of it is like only like 10, 15% of your relationship truly is, especially when you get to like your level of relationship is that spark is that like lustfulness is that like looking at that person and being like, "Mm," but it's the part that keeps the spark alive. Um, So yeah, I think, I think that's like really, um, you know, I think that's really relatable. Um, I have, couple of different real quick can, can i ask okay. have you ever been on someone's hook that's related to the stories about to tell yeah i think i think so basically i have two i have two ex-girlfriends i could talk about one of them i'm going to try to not talk about at all because that that was wild uh it was like a, it would be a very different podcast if i told stories from that relationship this one though i think is a little bit more better of a lesson um so i was in a very similar situation this is my my first relationship um and it was uh <laughs> looking back in this this is like one of the most what was I thinking moments ever very like kind of similar to yours so first time I, I like talked to this girl it was like that like pop punk song like girl all the bad guys want like she was like the youngest in her family had all older friends she was like you know partying and stuff when we were in like eighth grade right so when I first met oh. her I was like oh right like, right which is a red flag I was like oh like this girl's cool she's like kind of like alternative punk rock girl I was like I'm gonna be like super into her and I remember like talking to her um I was whatever I can I've told more embarrassing stories than this the last day of like eighth grade it was like kind of one of those random days where people had exams and we were all like they were girls were walking the track guys were playing football and I was playing football and I was doing my whole like oh I'm gonna be Mr. like athlete guy to impress this girl and I went and talked to her after you know what I'm saying I had like a couple of tutties or whatever like it was like my my best football game you know what I'm saying everybody like, remembers that moment too where they feel right. like they did something to impress a person of the opposite sex and that maybe it was a playing field or something like that. And you look back on it, you're like, I crushed it. Right. Literally. Like it was, it sounds so like, but you're right. Like we as dudes were always like, yeah, that day I was like actually kind of cooking. And I came and talked to her, you know what I'm saying? I had my PE clothes on. I was like sweaty. And she looked at me and she just goes, why are you playing football? You should have been walking the track. This is not for you. I was like, Ooh. And so, bro, bro. So I literally like went like demon mode that summer that was when i lost dude i lost 80 pounds over a summer because i was like okay i'm tired of being the fat kid i'm tired of being like the butt of everybody's jokes you know what i'm saying i got like a personal trainer bro i ate nothing but like chicken and like greens for like an entire summer i dropped 80 pounds i was like lean mean i stayed that way until i was like midway through college you know what i'm saying and i started lifting but point being the actual story you know what i'm saying we dated for like dude all of high school kind of like to like senior year and i found out like stuff started kind of getting weird at the end. Like it seemed like she wasn't that into me. And like point being like, that's what happens when you're always chasing another great, how I met your mother ism is there's always a reacher and a settler. Great that, point. Great point. A hundred percent. And this ties yep. into the hook thing as well, yes. because the reacher and the settler, you, you know, those rules, they're so clearly defined. And if you, if you can't be introspective enough to look in and see what that is, when that relationship is like not forming, 
then then you're in trouble. You're in real trouble because that 100% exists. And it's it, it sounds bad, but it's like every other, like, oh, my relationship's 50-50. It's like, come on, bro. Like, you, you you know. And like, I think that you, no secret about it. Like, I, we joked about Lauren being the star of your relationship and stuff. And it's like, I think that's cool that like you you kind of view like your situation that way. It's like, oh, like she's the MVP. Like, I, I think that's super cute. And like, so point being, this was the only relationship that I have really been the reacher in because like i said this girl was like you know had a bunch of cool friends was like always going to like concerts and stuff like her if we had stories like instagram stories would have been awesome so i was like oh my gosh this is like a dream so anyway as things kind of started to like get awkward like it was one of those like you know oh like where were you last night like da, 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 da. one of her friends pulled me aside and was like hey bro um she's been cheating on you for a minute and it's not just like, cause I knew about one dude and I was kind of like asked, I was like, huh? Like I was about to like kind of bust her on that. She's like, dog, it's like 10 dudes. And I remember getting told that and being like, oh my God. How and old like, were you when you, when you got that news? I was like 18. Yeah. That's, that's, that's at an age where it's old enough where if you're 14, 15 and you're like, okay. So like she's, she like went to a couple of parties, made out with a couple of guys when you're 18 and you hear that, that hits differently. Yes. And it was like, you know what I'm saying? It was like senior year. So in my mind, I was like, dude, like we're going to college. We're, we're like, you know, typical like young person BS or whatever. And like, that's why I'm, I've always been a little bit, uh, what's the word? I've been a little bit like X's and O's, like non-romantic about relationships, which is bad when it like comes out because I was so, this is like, I was so into this girl and I was so into making her happy and trying to make everything work. And then I learned that and I was like, okay, like that sucks. And I was mad or whatever. And I confronted her about it. And she was basically just like, I can't believe my friend told you that. And I was like, okay, well, that's not a denial. Yeah. That's like the classic like coach speak thing where it's like, I can't believe we're leaking reports. It's like, that means the reports are true. And so I like talked to her about it and she like halfway denied it. And I was like, I guess it was like, it was like my first love. I was like head over heels for this girl. So my dumb self tried to work it out. Oh, William. Oh, Oh, no, no. Oh, no, no. Uh, yeah. And so it kind of just ended in one day, you know, it was, it was only like a month or two after that, that I really like still tried to make it work. I was like, Hey, like, do you feel sorry for this? She was obviously was like, Oh yeah, sorry. Da, da, da. And then like one day she just kind of sat me down. It was like, bro, this isn't like, we're done. Like I kind of tried to like, cause I think she was like non-confrontational. So I think she was just really like trying to go out there and, and make it obvious that she wasn't that into me instead of like just telling me. But when she told me, I was like, and then of course my friends were like, bro, again, what were you thinking? Like, why did you think at that point you could turn this whole thing around? And like, that's the only time to my knowledge I've ever been cheated on because, and like, I talked about this with my like therapist today, and now we're getting really deep. It's like, I think that was the only relationship that I've been the reacher in. I think that everything since then has been feeling how horrible that felt in my mind. I was just like, I never want to feel this way again. I never want to give someone else this type of power in my life to where I'm like a like puppy dog for them and they're capable of doing something like that to me. Um, so I think that like, yeah, I think that that like when we're young, especially like high school, college age, we do have that like hallmark view of relationships or it's like, well, if you just work hard, it'll figure itself out. And that's why like since I've gotten a little bit more jaded over time, because I'm just like, I've been in you know, several relationships since then. Each one was kind of better than the last. Um, and I learned a lot from each one, but I think that having that first experience of like having a like hallmark situation and then it getting turned into like, just kidding, buddy, this is a whole different movie genre. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, if you feel like you're not someone's, someone's priority and you're dating them or you're talking to them, it's all related. Just don't. Or have a conversation and tell them how you feel. And then if they like, even if they agree, if they just kind of give you lip service, she'd be like, all right, 
I can do better because being someone's second choice or 11th choice, if you're me, uh, is not, not a great place to be. And so, yeah, I think since then, like, I think my confidence kind of developed over the following like two years after I got out of that relationship. And I've like said, the girls I'm dating, I'm just like, all right, like, if you want like whatever you want to do, like, you're not going to do better than this. So figure it out. And it, like, I've come from that perspective and it's not cocky, but it's like, if I have to change myself like drastically, or if I'm not giving you what you need, get on out of here, dog. I'll find someone else versus I'm going to stay on this hook. I'm going to try to solve this. And it just never works. You know, here's the problem too, because if you were in that spot and feeling like you wanted to see if you were on the hook and test what that other person would say, if you told them, yeah, I'm actually starting to develop feelings for blah, blah, blah. That other person who is the settler, I guess we're, yeah. we're now mixing how I met your mother concepts, but I think there's a lot of overlap there. What that person can do in that moment, because they know they have the power. They mm -hmm. can tell you exactly what you want to hear. Yep. They can tell you exactly what you want to hear. So even if you try and test that theory and, and try and have that communication because you're recognizing it, you can still be tricked into staying on the hook. And that is what is so tough. And you don't realize it until you're truly out of it, until you're truly emotionally invested in other things or in other people. Can you actually look at that situation with clarity? And it is so hard. And I'm not like, that takes a while. And if you get that sort of clarity to, to snap your fingers and say, yep, I'm done being in this person. I'm going to get out of it. Good on you. Mm -hmm. You are a strong-willed, self-aware person and i envy you I, I truly do but i i imagine there are so many people listening to this who have been in that spot before and they feel like man they're being they're being put in this spot that it's just like it's just not fair it's not mm -hmm. fair and people don't do this necessarily on purpose but i think people do it out of negligence sometimes and they don't necessarily always understand how that other person feels or that other person is like way more into them than they are and that is just like it's a dangerous, dangerous cycle. And if you find yourself in this spot repeatedly, and I had a buddy who was on this girl's hook, things have worked out for the both of them. Oh, they both, they both have ended up in great relationships. One's got two kids. They're both married. They've, they've done well. This is like way back, like way separate back. to each other or together, separate to each other. Not, okay. Okay. Not yeah, together, yeah. not together, but like he was on her hook for a long time. For a long time, we had to have those conversations and there was no getting through to him. There just wasn't because you Dude, don't there's no clearly. There's no worse feeling than when you so clearly see something for your buddy and you finally work up the courage to be like, dog, you don't see reality right now. Like this person is bad for you. The situation is bad for you. This job is bad for you. And you really lay it out for him and they're just like, no, I disagree. It's like, bro, why do you disagree? Like, you don't get it. It's like, uh, you think you get it too much, man. Things almost have to come to a head. You almost yep. have to have that person who steps in and says, Hey, your girlfriend cheated on you with 10 different guys. Like yeah. th that's, that's kind of what it takes. Mine took my buddy telling me like, she's not into you, man. And we see mm -hmm. it and we see the way that this is playing out. She's not into you in that way. You need to cut your losses right now. And you're seeing, you have to hear somebody say that and, and have the, the vision to, to understand that and have that, that like firsthand example in your face. Otherwise, it's so hard to get away from it, man. That's why it's look, it's not easy to get off a hook, but they're just there in the closet, hanging out, waiting for a rainy day. How many things do you have in your closet right now? You're like, oh, one day I'll I'll wear one that. Day. I'll yeah. one day. Totally. I'm gonna wear that. I'm like, I can't get rid of that yet.
No. I'll say this too. You made a really good point about the lip service aspect of it. And I think, you know, we're both dudes, so we can only really speak from a dude's perspective. Um, But like, you're right. Okay. So going back to that point, you said that people can always give you kind of the answer that you're looking for because that person views you as a valuable asset in some capacity, either you're a good friend to them. Like it could be as simple as you're a good friend of that person and they like to be around you and they know that if there's not, if, if there's no mutual interest, like if you're not into them, they would get hurt and stop talking to you and you lose a friend. Um, You know what I'm saying? Or like, and like I said, like, that's what I'm saying from a dude's perspective. I'm, I've heard of not, I mean, honestly, like, so I've heard all these discussions on Twitter where people were like, oh yeah, you know, just like dudes being dudes and like pressuring girls and stuff. It's like, my friends have never really done that. So like, I don't really even know like what that, like not even trying to be Mr. Like white knight, but it's like, I've never really been in a situation where I've seen one of my dudes like, trying to really like be a sleazy dude to a girl i feel like i would step in but also like we just kind of don't do that like it would be a weird vibe in my group to do that but point being like i know that there are lots of dudes who do that to girls for you know intimacy reasons like they think that they could you know hook up with this girl and they think well if i you know love bomb them it's the new term and basically let them know like let them seem very important to me let them think that they're the one for me and they let their guard down you know then we do our thing and then I ghost them or whatever. Like, I think it's a very toxic behavior for dudes even more specifically. Cause I've seen, I've heard so many stories from girls of dudes just being like, Oh yeah. Like t- telling them all just like lies, bro. And just being like, Oh yeah, no, I'm so into you. Like, this is fine. You can let your, like let your guard down. And then after they kind of get what they want, they get out of there. So yeah, I think that like when you have that position of power, no matter what it is, even if it's a friendship that you want to keep together, or if you want something, you know, physical, like you hold all the cards. And I think that dynamic with someone that you don't trust or, doesn't have your best interest at heart if they're just being selfish is a very dangerous game i looking back realize i had a girl that was on my hook mm. in college and looking back like I, i'm not trying to make make myself sound sound innocent here because there, there are a lot of things from a relationship standpoint that i look back on I'm like you just approach that all wrong and i thought i was approaching it right because i wasn't doing the teller what you wanted to hear I was I, I thought I was being upfront and honest, even though my actions didn't totally reflect that. Mm-hmm. And that's the issue that I think you can still run into. Even if you think you're being the good guy, you think you're being the nice girl, you think you're being super transparent with this person, you're still not fully taking into account how they might feel. And right. that's the thing that sucks about that. And that's why it's so dangerous. Blunt honesty is the best policy because you're right. So much of that comes from it's not just sleazy people or toxicity. So much of that comes from trying to not hurt someone's feelings. Sure. And I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, well, like, like, um, oh, I'm just gonna like kind of appease this guy or this girl and like be like be cordial with them. But then what almost always happens is if that person is super into you and you're not super into them, then they read too deep into those signs. And then so it's like sometimes it is better to just be harsh and be like, look, man, I'm just not into you. We could be friends if you want, but I don't think you could handle that. So like we might just need to go our separate ways and rip this band-aid off now. Because the end of that story is that person getting even more hurt and viewing, you know, you or whoever as a bad person. And it's like, well, sometimes that stuff comes from the purest of intentions of like, Oh, like, I don't want to break this person's heart. I don't want to make them feel bad, but it's like, it's, it's going to happen eventually if there's one way attraction, you know? Agreed. We, we feel the way that we feel and it's, it's hard. You, you can't talk somebody into feeling, you know, one one specific way. Relationships obviously take work, but there, there's something that about it that you just you can't force. And sometimes that leads to, to a situation like that. Mm-hmm. That was, that was good. I enjoyed that been having that one in the holster for for a very long time that somehow never come up in in figuring out glad we were able to to discuss that concept in what was i thinking 
If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at the Essex Pod, at CG O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group. Your name, Rare, and everything figuring out a Golden Brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.